This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Jared Moon, a recently elected senior partner at McKinsey. Congratulations, firstly, on the uh, on the election. Thank you, Sam. Incredible you. news. Perhaps you could tell our, our listeners a little bit about your background. Sure. So I'm a senior partner, as Sam said, at McKinsey. I've been there a little over a decade. I lead our work in wholesale banking, technology, operations, and digital. I spent about a decade before that in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley in technology, financial services, at places like Wells Fargo and a few startups, which maybe we'll come on to a little bit later. Thank you. We'll start at the very beginning. There's a ton of stuff I'm I'm looking forward to asking you today. You've been in this industry a while. It's changed a lot. Firstly, I'd like to hear possibly how you've seen the financial services landscape change, but also where you see it going to and what some of your focuses at McKinsey are going to be on. Maybe a personal reflection to start and then a professional reflection. Personal reflection, starting in technology in this space 20 years ago, it felt and was a very different piece of the value equation in financial services 20 years ago. We were clearly an enabler. We were clearly something that delivered, but you feel 20 years on that technology is increasingly the critical differentiator. And as we ask CEOs, COOs, and the like in the industry, what they're worried about, they typically say, you know, things like regulation, but then technology, technology, technology. So you feel much more front and center. And in terms of the value equation, you can see the value pool shifting from the core traditional kind of banking industry to places like market infrastructure, software, and services around that space. So it is an increasingly important part of the landscape. Where this is going, this is only going kind of one direction. In an industry like capital markets, we've plotted the technology intensity of the different asset classes, and it's all market structure-wise and level of automation-wise increasing in places like the interest rates business, in FX, even in places like equity derivatives, which historically have been less technology intensive. Firms are investing to digitize, to create front ends. It's transforming pretty much every business in financial services. Since you talk about technology as being the critical differentiator, one of the things we're seeing a lot of is utilization of certain areas of financial services. We built at Motive Partners, as you know, a model that allows financial services firms to club together, to share R&D cost and build cost, to do things much more cost effectively, but also to try and accelerate and catalyze that value creation process. What are you seeing in the utilization space? And what do you think the real opportunity is outside some of the obvious areas? And what do you think some of the biggest barriers to success are going to be? It's a fantastic question. We've been discussing this in our COO roundtable, both in banking and across industry for as long as I can remember, at least a decade. And the conversation has evolved from where is there stuff that's absolutely non-differentiating that we can club together and creates no competitive advantage, which at the end of the day comes out with relatively low value, relatively small areas. That's where we started 10 years ago. It's now 
what creates competitive differentiation in the firm, everything else we would love to find an industry solution for. So mm -hmm. we've seen some actual take up in things like listed derivatives clearing and settlement, in securities processing, in some of the post-trade areas in capital markets. We've started to see whatever you want to call them, standard platforms, category killers, things that people are starting to migrate onto at scale. And we think that's also only going one direction. We also worked with a number of firms recently on something that is very critical and very differentiating, like the implementation of the fundamental review of the trading book. So for non-modelable risk factors, can firms share data? Can they collaborate to come out with better models, better answers? And that's an area where 10 years ago, that conversation would have been off the table. Mm -hmm. Sharing mm -hmm. how we think about our data and our models across firms would have been completely off the table. So that is definitely creating momentum in the industry in wholesale banking, but also more broadly. Even in retail banking, firms are saying things like our channels, our core banking platform, why are we doing it alone? Why wouldn't we use an industry standard software as a service solution if one exists? So in places like retail lending, even in core deposits, Firms are looking for, call them utilities, call them software as a service, call them managed service solutions, mm -hmm. um, both here in the UK, uh, but I think in continental Europe as well. It's actually where I think, if I can be so bold, the UK and continental Europe might be a step ahead of the US because it's a smaller, more contained set of players. There's more bold action being taken on things like software as a service core banking platforms. Well, as a, as a fiercely patriotic Brit, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you say that. You know, we've worked hard in the UK on our fintech agenda and we have incredible support from the government. That said, you know, there are areas that the US are leading in, but I suspect given recent regulatory drives that will maintain our edge for a little bit longer. There are certain areas that we are probably championing a little bit harder than others. And I think core banking is one of them. Uh, in the US, you have a lot of very large core banking distributors that are largely growing inorganically now, mm -hmm. uh, if at all. And in the UK, we've seen some new ones emerging. What are some of the ones that you've been most impressed by so far? And where do you think this industry is going to go? I think in the UK, you're seeing firms like Thought Machine, 10X, and firms in continental Europe like Mambu, who are different in the way they come to market and the type of solution, but I think are equally innovative in what they're trying to do. And I think that's a, if you look at something like a thought machine that's distributed ledger based, smart contracts on the front end, it's modern technology. You can mm -hmm. truly say it's modern technology and is potentially much more flexible, much more efficient than traditional core banking platforms. And I think the UK has been good about fostering fintech innovation. And there's obviously a hub of activity, both in London, but across the country, frankly, around around this space. Just jumping to a bit of a more McKinsey-centric sure. view. McKinsey is the gold standard of strategic consulting. It's known the world over as, as the best of the best. You've recently taken on a senior partner position. I'm fascinated to know how you see the, the model evolving for firms like yours, perhaps away from a TNM model or at least diversification of it. What are some of the things that McKinsey are doing and, and particularly in your new position, what are some of the things you want to focus on? I think um, Kevin Schneider put it best a couple of weeks ago. He said that the firm needs to keep on innovating. We've innovated quite a lot over the last couple of years. We've built out our digital capability, which is now over 2,000 people. 
and a big part of the firm globally. We've built out our analytics capability and increasingly focused on on that space, acquiring firms like Quantum Black, which mm-hmm. have some very exciting machine learning and advanced analytics capabilities. And we're increasingly aware that bringing data, bringing solutions, and augmenting the core consulting model with technology-driven solutions, that's where this industry is headed. And so we continue to reinvent around that space. And personally, you know, I'm excited about the journey ahead in wholesale banking and in capital markets in particular, because there's so much to be done. The mm. industry utilities or that space. Also, I don't think the model has really been cracked for technology, particularly outside of the top 10 firms. So where do we land five to 10 years from now for firms 11 through 100, whether that's technology mm-hmm. capability, what's in-house versus what's shared, what's the cost to serve model look like, how do we deliver advanced analytics both to our clients, but also internally. I think there's just a lot that can still be done and a lot of value that can be created for the industry in that area in particular. So yeah, a lot more to uh, a lot more to do. That's fantastic. Really, really, uh, really interesting to hear. As part of being the best of the best, you guys have always been the best at hiring great talent. I mean, everyone I've ever met from McKinsey certainly makes me feel stupid. So, uh, what are some of the ways you're going? And particularly, I think as as this industry evolves, and it's it's kind of cross sector because technology is becoming more and more pervasive and affecting the way that these fusion industries are, are sort of evolving and transforming. The war for talent is going to get very very real. It's going to be harder and harder, I think, for the big traditional firms to acquire that talent. How are McKinsey going to go about it? How do you guys? keep your edge with people because you are a people business? Uh, So look, we face um, talent challenges like everyone else, particularly for roles like top-end data scientists. But that's, I think, part of the reason why we have brought in the firms that we have and give them some level of autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can have the best of working for a firm like Quantum Black with the opportunity set that comes from working in McKinsey across a range of industries, client problems, client opportunities. Mm-hmm. So we bring a bit of that from both dimensions. We also are a little bit spoiled for for choice. Mm-hmm. Right? We have so many applicants for the positions that we do have. We're going to continue to try and bring in the right mix of skills, the right set of capabilities. And that's also shifting over time. Mm. So we are obviously growing in places like the digital space uh, yeah. that I operate in and in analytics, of course. And also areas like IoT, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. something that's maybe less obvious for McKinsey, but uh, the IoT space is an exciting area where we're growing as well. Yeah, I mean, the IoT space is super exciting and it intersects with so many areas. Mm. You know, we're looking at how can we take certain technologies from other industries and, and apply them to financial services. And I think the Internet of Things is going to bring many, many challenges as well as opportunities. How do we evolve from payment systems that are operating at max thousands of transactions per second to millions? Mm. Because machines are going to be talking to machines. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be super exciting. Um a final question on, on McKinsey. You, you've talked about a number of the different areas that you personally look after and operate in. I know that distributed ledger technologies is an area of your focus, and I'm sure that McKinsey have a view on it. What is it, and uh, and where do you think things are going? Yeah, it's um, an area we've done quite a bit of proprietary research on, and we're quite excited about the potential. When we sized the potential transformation in banking from distributed ledger, I think the value was around 50 to $60 billion potential. Now that's revenue, 
cost reduction, liquidity and capital optimization from the use of distributed ledger technology. And so we think there are a number of really exciting opportunities in places like B2B payments, trade finance, security settlements, much of which the industry is already working on. But we were, I think, at the forefront of sizing some of that opportunity and putting a dollar value to it. Now, we've continued to look at this space with the rise of cryptocurrencies and ICOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also creates some exciting potential as well, particularly for things like the asset management industry, where at least some industry leaders see this as a potential disintermediation or disruption in the way asset management gets distributed out to end investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's also you know, an area where there could be more transformation in addition to the core distributed ledger technology. Now, scaling impact from this, yeah. the initial, we did a survey of, I don't remember how many executives focused on this space, and the average was about three years mm-hmm. where there would be at scale impact. And that was about three years ago. We asked them uh, a year and a half later, and the average was about five years from there. So I think the industry is recognizing as it's going that really at-scale impact for anything, securities processing, trade finance, requires so many actors and so many participants in the ecosystem that it will just take time. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I don't think there's really many that still doubt the transformation potential on the core trade processing, the core payments infrastructure So we are long-term still quite excited about the potential. Fascinating. It's really interesting hearing you talk about the time it takes for for technology to actually become scalable, profitable, etc. One of the things we always forget, I think, is if you think about the history of money, money was, I don't know, introduced thousands of years ago in, in its earliest form. There was market arbitrage and bartering and all sorts of different things that, that happened that we forget about. Paper money was introduced about 400 years ago for the first time. And then the likes of MasterCard and Visa were built only 50, 60 years ago mm. and are already being displaced. Blockchain, as the underlying technology to Bitcoin, for example, which now has a larger market cap than JP Morgan, has happened in the last eight or so years. So whilst the pace of change I know is increasing exponentially, it does, you know, we we are still human beings with our own behavioral trends and and need to accept things uh, as we see them happening. It's interesting. um, We did a, a look back on technology adoption of major technologies television, the radio, Mm -hmm. all of these things in prior years. And generally, firms and individuals overestimate how quickly a technology will be adopted, almost unilaterally. We overestimate how fast it will happen and underestimate how much it will be adopted. So, you know, we thought, I think there was a famous McKinsey study about the market potential for um, mainframe computers, where we thought there would be, I don't remember, 10 sold in the US ever. But we thought it would happen much faster than it did. So it took a lot longer, but there were slightly more, I think, than 10 sold uh, in the US. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like that. Thank you. Just a couple more questions, and then we'll let you go back to your your busy day. We always like to ask a couple of of funner or or more personal questions towards, towards the end. A personal favorite of mine is asking about role models. I've, I've had the good fortune of having some incredible mentors through my short career. Who have been some of yours? I guess within McKinsey, I'd kind of point to two. One fairly obvious one was uh, Ian Davis, who was the managing partner when I joined the firm. Listening to him talk in 2005, 2006 about 
the 10 trends, the 10 disruptions that would shape kind of the future mm-hmm. inspired me to join McKinsey and have helped me think through how to have impact with my clients for a long time. It was something that left an indelible mark on me when I was at Cambridge and when I started the firm. So that would certainly be one. The other in the firm is the leader of our corporate and investment banking practice, Daniele Chiarella, who his relentless kind of focus on his clients, but also on people. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, as you said earlier, we are a, a people business and taking the time to invest in our people I have had the, the benefit of personally and many people have. So that I would say uh, those are the two in McKinsey that have role modeled as much as I can after. Super. Thank you. And then to uh, my second favorite one, what was the best investment you never made? So I was hoping we'd get to uh, the startups that I did yeah. at some point. Back in the dot-com days in 1999 and 2000, there were many firms looking at reinventing the B2B supply chain using technology, using the internet. There was GNX, the grocery net exchange, RMX, the retailers market exchange, Ariba and Commerce One. You've probably heard of Ariba or Commerce One. Probably haven't heard of RMX or GNX. I joined RMX. I was one of the founding 10 folks. It was at one point, I think, valued at half a billion dollars. It was in the end unsuccessful. I think if I had joined one of the other firms, I would perhaps have made the investment of time and money <laughs> better. I did learn a lot, though, at RMX. We um, didn't end up getting that second client. Mm-hmm. We had one client, but we never got our, our second major B2B client. Uh, so we learned a lot, learned a lot in that uh, experience. Um, if people ask me if I would trade it for having joined Ariba at the beginning, I think I might. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I might. I don't doubt it. But, you know, as they say, the, the failure is the way you really learn. Uh, that's definitely... We spoke about regional differences between the UK and the US. I think that's one of the big cultural differences about the US. They celebrate failure. The lessons learned and the scars are sort of, yeah, celebrated. Whereas over here, we're, we're a bit afraid of failure and embarrassed about success. So it's, uh, it's very different. You, 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 uh, you grew up in San Francisco, if I remember correctly. How's that changed as a place? I think San Francisco, obviously I'm biased, has gone from strength to strength. And it's reinvented itself. It's gone from being, you know, if I can call it the services hub to the technology explosion that was happening around it, mm-hmm. to being the place where new startups are and technology firms are incubated. It's transformed itself. It's an exciting place. It's a diverse place. So I think it will continue to go from strength to strength. And I obviously love San Francisco. The first part of the question is, how often do you get back there? And the second part is, what's McKinsey's footprint like there? I get back there once a year if I'm lucky. Focusing in wholesale banking, technology and ops doesn't, um, doesn't lend itself well to going back to San Francisco. Um, but we do have quite a thriving office in San Francisco and one in Silicon Valley because there's so much work that's going on there. We just couldn't serve it out of one office. We had yeah. to go, uh, go to two. Um, and we serve quite a, a range of industries from there. Uh, also, our thinking on things like AI and uh, robotics comes out of that office from a partner named Michael Chewy. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hubs of our McKinsey Global Institute. So for some of that thinking. So it's really a, an exciting hub. I had the good fortune of, of spending time recently there with uh, John Thompson, who's on our Global Advisory Council and is the chairman of Microsoft. And his energy and passion 
for San Francisco is just incredible. And uh, we were talking about different parts of the infrastructure there that have made it so special from Sand Hill Road and the deep pools of capital to, to the universities and, and the academic side of things. It really is the perfect environment for creative technologies. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot we can learn from it. And, uh, and I'm hoping that post-Brexit we can, we can perhaps try and emulate some of the things that San Francisco have done so well. You've got a lot of the ingredients with Cambridge and Oxford, the equivalent of your Stanford and Berkeley, although as a USF alum, I hate to say it. <laughs> Jared, thank you. It was even more interesting than I thought it would be. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for your time. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you soon. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.